Krista Hughes, formerly Krista Inouye. I'm Sydney White, used to be Sydney Saunders. And I'm Haley Lyle, slash Bennett. Um, I've actually been at Seacoast since the womb, but we'll just say, <laughs> we'll say 28 years. I've been at Seacoast for 29 years. I'm 28 years old, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, so growing up at Seacoast, I loved it because there's such longevity of relationships and so there's people that have seen me grow up. Um, there's also so many new relationships um, and so it's a really good mixture of that. Um, even just growing up and seeing my parents' friendships and how they were their communities and how they treated their friends, how they worked through things as friends. Um, and then getting to then be friends with their friends' kids, it created this cool environment where we were all on the same page with a lot of things. And I think for me, Seacoast has always been about the people. And when I think back of my time at Seacoast, I just think of all the people that impacted me, starting with these guys right here in the sixth grade. And we could probably still tell you all our silly nicknames from then. But um, I'd say probably one of the hardest times of my life, kind of at the end of high school, a whole bunch of people really just rallied around my family, not just me as I was struggling, but um, my parents. And really learned so much about um, my identity in Christ and that it's not based on what I do, but rather who God says I am. And I felt like I launched off to college with such that truth to hold on to in my heart that when I encountered um, different messages that were telling me that actually you need to do X, Y, and Z to be quote unquote good, I had such a firm foundation of knowing that my identity was not in what I did. Now I get to see like the fruit of God's faithfulness in my own life through them and all their investment into me now it has come into my family and they're still pouring into me as I'm learning to be a mom and do all this other adult stuff. <laughs> you know, for me, growing up here, um, especially with children at junior high and high school, um, I feel so honored to be part of this community where people really did invest in the children. Um, I'm thinking even back in fifth and sixth grade, they were really teaching us how to worship as a child. Um, and I feel like we had this really great, solid foundation. And then in junior high, you know, junior high is so, so chaotic. Um, but I just remember that this, we had this crazy summer going into junior high and the leader just planned all these insane events. And it was probably really stressful, um, but they, they went through with it, all the parents helped. And I think that time really built a foundation of friendship that all the relationships and all the amazing conversations that we had in junior high and high school came from that. You know, with this church, you know, it, it kind of went beyond this building. So much happened in this building, but because we had those relationships, um, you know, we have friendships that have gone on for ever. That, you know, we, we got to grow up together, we got to do the human thing, we got to do the pool parties, we got to do the bonfires. 
Uh, we had all these crazy sleepovers growing up, and we've now been in each other's weddings. Growing up at Seacoast, um, I just feel honored and blessed that so many people invested in us, um, and yeah, just took us took us seriously as as kids. Yeah, we were in high school when we led a little fifth and sixth grade. Um, Bible study over the summers and just to think that people trusted us to do that <laughs> was amazing and I think that trust and like you said taking us seriously yeah. meant a lot because we wanted to serve and the Lord had done so much in our lives we wanted to share that. Just even this year with Seacoast um, the people here have shown God's faithfulness to me and my family um, with my dad passing away this year. <laughs> just the people here are just so loving um, and I just knew right away that there were people to help and I didn't hesitate it wasn't any awkwardness of can people help I just knew people would and people did so abundantly um, yeah and it was just beautiful pictures again and again and I still see it today um, of just people just showing God's faithfulness. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Seacoast has just been such a sweet launching pad for me and so many cool just endeavors with the Lord and part of that I think is so many people have just made themselves available to get to know me and to care about what I'm caring about and what I'm hoping to go off and do. I think it's so cool whenever I see anyone investing in my daughter or my son and noticing things that even I don't. Um, I just love how much the ladies in the nursery love my daughter Cameron and even notice her little um, mannerisms. I don't know if they think they make an impact, but I hope that they know that I feel so loved by watching them love and notice my daughter. And um, I think that for anyone who's pouring into the next generation or kids, like it might be a little, but it matters. I think these two right here are my tokens <laughs> of God's faithfulness. I mean, where else do you find friends that stick with you for however long through everything? Yeah. Oh, man, I've loved these stories. Is someone chopping onions? I feel like there's... I feel like every week when we get to see these stories, just reminded of the beauty of, of what church is. And it's not, you know, we, we talk about programs and style of music and all the things come and go, but what doesn't come and go is a family of faith who's walking with Jesus and walking with each other. That's always going to be trendy. And uh, so that's why I love seeing those stories and love hearing uh, the stories of faithfulness. So um, one thing that's cool to me, too, is when we see now a story of not just a second-generation seacoaster, but third-generation seacoasters. And I hope you picked up a couple things. One of just the beauty of walking with each other through 
hard times and easy times through the ups and downs. That's life. Um, and then the value of your role in someone's life. Every little thing that we do here as a church, whether it be in hospitality or in our Grom lot, hanging out with the little kids, uh, teaching fifth and sixth grade, all of those things, you never know what your service might do. You never know what that one warm smile and a cup of coffee you hand to somebody might be to someone who's at the end of their rope and they walked in. Some of you, that is your story. You were at your last step and someone greeted you and welcomed you. And so you make a difference um, in the way you serve, the way you love one another and walk so with each other. So thank you for doing that and being a part of Seacoast. If you are a guest, we hope you get a picture of who we want to be as a church and we want to invite you to be a part of that. And, uh, and, and it's just a beautiful community of people. And so as we continue our 35th anniversary, this whole month we've been sharing stories. Next week at um, on Labor Day weekend, we're having one service to kind of cap it all off. So at 10 a.m., so, 10, so 10.30 people, you got to get up early next week to get here by 10. I mean, you could do it, right? You can do it. Uh, so, uh, so 10 o'clock is next week, one service. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy is in uh, the Old Testament. It's very, if you're not familiar with Scripture, it's the very beginning of the Bible. It's the fifth book, so kind of towards the beginning. And uh, we'll be getting there in just a little while. We love to open it up and, and look into Scripture and to uh, try to really understand these ancient words that still make a difference for us today. And today, I hope you've picked up on the theme is that we're talking about what it means to pass on who we are from one generation to the next. And it's not always age generation. Sometimes it's generations of faith. Some of you come to faith much later in life, and you maybe are a newer generation as far as walking with Jesus. And so when we're talking about what it means to be apprentices of Jesus or disciples of Jesus, learning to his words and ways and how he thinks and lives, that as we spend time with Jesus, we want to become like Jesus. And that's what we mean by discipleship, being his apprentice. And then how do we walk with one another to help each other grow in that? So it's leaving a legacy of faith. And as a church, we've been doing things for 35 years. And sometimes you, you, you don't even know why you do what you do. It's just something you do. Does anyone, you have family traditions. I think all of you could probably say you look at your holidays and say, oh, we do certain things on holidays. And then maybe you bring someone from the outside into your family. And every once in a while they say, why do you do that? And you might think, well, I have no idea. We just, that's what you do. We all have those kind of things. Um, a few years ago in about, March and April of 2020, here in San Diego, there's this thing called COVID. If you're not from the area, you might not have heard of it. But um, so that was at the beginning of COVID, and we had to do this thing called lockdown. I don't think the government wanted to call it lockdown. I think it was shelter in place or something like that. But whatever it was, it was lockdown. And part of lockdown is a one week, I, we love food in my family. We love to cook. We love to eat. Even all three of our boys love to eat and cook. They actually do both. But I said, hey, we're going to do once a week, we're going to do cooking classes because we're, we're here. We have time. So on Saturdays, we went and we got food um, the first Saturday, and, and we started with French cooking. So I said, hey, learn the basics, these good techniques. And so we started cooking. So first week, we made this great meal. They were learning. It was awesome. It was great. Week two, we did it again. Week three, they didn't all show up for class. <laughs> By week four, only the teacher showed up. <laughs> 
But when it was time to eat, they were there. So, so yeah, so it, it took us about four weeks and it became just me cooking. But it is now August 27th, 2023. Last night was Saturday night and it was still my turn to cook. And so every week since then, um, Saturday night has become the night where I go out in the afternoon. I see some of you sometimes in the store on Saturday afternoon, and you're thinking, why are you getting your ingredients now? Because that's how I do it. Yeah, I've run into a few of you. And, uh, and then Saturday nights, I get to cook for the family. My guess is, should the Lord allow my wife and I to live long enough to be in our 80s, Saturday night will come around, and she will probably say, what are you cooking tonight? <laughs> as we now have a tradition in our home. And it might even be that if we have grandkids that they will either have that tradition in their house or they'll say, we're going over to grandparents' house tonight because we know that the food will be good and it will be high calorie and delicious and you can't eat that way every night, but once a week's fine. So, uh, but at some point, we, this became a tradition and, it, and if you didn't know the story, you would think, well, where did that come from? That happens sometimes in faith that we have these things that we believe and that we do, but it all starts somewhere. And so today we're gonna look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter six and look at where this legacy came from because we wanna be intentional about what we're passing on. The author and speaker Leonard Sweet says this about legacy. He says, what you do is your history, but what you set in motion is your legacy. So something you, you do, even as a church, what we do, that, that's part of our history. We started the church uh, 35 years ago. That's part of our history. But what we set in motion is the legacy. A legacy of, of built on the grace of God in our lives and grace that we give to one another and leaning in on what it means to walk with Jesus. Now, that's not just what we do. That's what we set in motion. And 35 years from now, we hope we continue to reap the benefit of a legacy of walking and learning and growing in the grace of God and the good news of Jesus. But even that goes further back, and that's where I want to take you today. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to jump in, and I'm going to read a few verses at a time, and we're going to talk about where this legacy of faith and discipleship actually goes back to. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says this, Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which our Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so that you may do them in the land where you're going over to take possession of, and so that you, your sons and daughters, and your grandsons and daughters will fear the Lord your God and keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that all the days and all your days may be prolonged." Now Israel, you shall then listen and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, for you, and that you may increase greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing of milk and honey. So this is a command. This is something that Moses is writing this. The book of Deuteronomy is the last, is kind of a retelling of some of the history uh, of Israel. In fact, Deuteronomy refers to like the second law. This is where Moses is retelling the law to the next generation. And the reason I wanted to go here today is because we want to see this is a good picture of what it means to pass on a legacy of faith. 
Now, to get there, we need to understand a few things. One is the biblical storyline. We need to know where this even fits in the story of Scripture because the Bible actually has a story from the beginning to the end. It's not a random collection of stories and, and commands and things meant to control people. It's actually a story of God and interacting with his creation. And so the story arc of Scripture that is important for us to always keep in mind because it helps us place what's happening, is this. It's creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Now, the whole story of Scripture begins with a creator God who's always existed, and who put what we see and what we know into motion. We call it creation. That's everything that humans, all this that we experience, God is our, the creator of that. Now, fall is what we refer to as when sin enters in. Sin is that idea of, do we trust God and his ways or ourselves? Now, we have a fall then in our lives constantly where we fall, we sin, we, we do things that are contrary to maybe the plans that God has for us and the way that he would want us to live. That's what we is under the title of fall, that now sin is a part of the story and that separated humanity from God. We no longer have that relationship perfect relationship. It's, there's something in the way. Then the rest of, most of scripture is the story of redemption, that third one. And, and redemption is actually, God had a plan to redeem the people he would create. Now I want you to hear that. From the very beginning, before you were created, he had a plan to redeem you, which means God knew that we would rebel and sin. Now why did he create us in a way that we could do that? I don't know, but he did, so we can go with that. But from the beginning, he was our redeemer, meaning he wanted to take our lives, even in our brokenness and our sin, and make, us have, make a way for us to have a restored relationship with him. And from Genesis chapter 3, all the way to the end of scripture, we're seeing God's plan for redemption enacted. And then it, it results in a new creation, new heavens and new earth. And in fact, as Christians, we are called a part of a, the first fruits of this new creation that with the spirit of God in us now that we have restored relationship with God because of Jesus, our sins are taken care of. We can now have no separation between us and God. But we're the first fruits of this new creation where God is making all things new. I know that's a lot to start with, but we want to always know that this ark matters. So when we read a passage in scripture, especially in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, where sometimes it just feels like, who, what is this? Some of the stories just seem so out of place. But when we learn that, oh, it's part of this story reminding us about the fall, but reminding us that there's a God who is actually a God of grace and mercy and compassion, even in the Old Testament. He's always been about initiating his loving kindness and enacting it to his fallen people. That's who he is. So we want to know this ark happens. Now, one way to think of it is this way. How does he bring his story of redemption? It's about God's people in God's place under God's rule. Or on our teaching team, Katie used the terminology, God's people in God's place under, in God's presence. But all, he uses the story of redemption by calling a people to be his own, to place them somewhere, but under his rule. And that through those people then, he would start to bring this plan of redemption. 
which ultimately culminates in Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, that story, what we see is Israel is God's people. Genesis, we see him in chapter 12. He calls this guy named Abraham, says, I'll make you a great nation. You'll become a nation of Israel. And I'm going to give you a land that you will possess, but you will live under my rule. Now, why does this matter? Because when we're reading Deuteronomy chapter 6, we know we have God's people, Israel. And they are getting ready to go into what's called the promised land, God's place under God's rule. But notice he's talking to the next generation. Because the generation that came out of what was called the Exodus, they were in slavery in Egypt, They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and they've been seeing these amazing miracles. God provide miraculous food, miraculous water. He um, showed up and led them by this cloud uh, by day and a fire by night. Some sort of imagery that they felt like God was present with them, yet they failed to trust him time and again. So God said, if you don't want to live under my rule, you all are going to die in the desert, and your next generation will enter God's place. So that's where Deuteronomy 6 is. He's giving these commands to the next generation because the previous generation failed to trust God. Now this is part of a conditional covenant which is different than what we have in Jesus. God loves us because of who he is. He's not saying, if you obey, I'll forgive you. And even with Israel, if we read a few chapters earlier, we'll see that this is not about God's love. We see in the earlier chapters of Deuteronomy, it says, because I love you, because I've rescued you, because I will first pour out my life to you, now I'm inviting you into this relationship. So that's where we now have this next generation that Moses is speaking to. So why do we get to Deuteronomy chapter 6? It's because it's about this legacy of faith that's going to be handed to the next generation. And notice what he wants them to grow in to grow in their fear of the Lord, which means reverence of who God is, and that they may uh, live a long life and, and things would go well for them. Doesn't that sound good? If we just do what you say, we're going to live long and have everything go well for us? I'm in. It doesn't always work that way. But what he essentially means is this. The commands I have for you is the life that you're designed to live. It's my way of justice. It's my way of grace and peace and forgiveness. And this is the life you're designed to actually live. In Jesus, he perfectly lived out the life that we're designed to live. And Jesus says, I come that you may have abundant life. Meaning, in me, I am the fulfillment of all these commands. This is how you're designed. Of course, that's without sin. But so Moses is saying, hey, if you followed my commands perfectly you're going to experience the life the way you're designed to live. And you're going to be a blessing to all the nations around you as I invite you to my place. So he says, that's why I want you to know this. Pass it on to the next generation. Now, what are you passing on? That's the why. It's because God has a life designed for him. Now, what, what's the what is, what are you passing on? And now let's look at verse 4 and 5. He gets to this famous passage in uh, Hebrew scripture, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
So what he's passing on to the next generation is this command that Jesus actually says is the greatest command. If there's one thing you remember in all of scripture, it's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. In fact, to this day, the Jewish people will pray this prayer every morning. It's a prayer that it, every morning you'll come you'll wake up and say this or have in your morning prayer time of hero Israel, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. You got that? So it's he's one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. But let's understand this. Why would Jesus say it's the greatest command? What is he really telling us to do? And so we're going to unpack these two verses here. It starts off with this word, hero Israel, or the word in Hebrew is Shema. Shema. Let's all get, learn some Hebrew today. Say Shema with me. Shema. Yes, isn't that good? Just say it. Parents, look at your kids, and every once in a while, like, Shema, come on. Shema is not just listen and hear what's being said, but it's listen and respond. So maybe some of you spouses have looked at a spouse and said, you're not actually hearing me right now. <laughs> you could say, you're not shmawing me. <laughs> maybe the words are making it into your brain, but you aren't actually listening. So in Hebrew, when you have this word, it actually means to listen and to do something about it. We see it in different places. They see it in Jeremiah. This is one of the prophets talking to the people, and he says this, hear this, you foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, and who have ears but do not hear, who do not shema. So they use it as, well, we all have ears, and most have ears that function, that we get the sounds, but he's saying, you're senseless and foolish, foolish if you're hearing, but you're not actually listening. Jesus actually goes on and says this in Matthew chapter 11, uh, in verse 15, he says, the one who has Ears to hear, let him hear. Why would he say that? What he's saying is the ones who want to listen, who want to put this into practice, let you listen and now respond. So the Shema starts with this, I'm going to give you this command to love the Lord your God, but it's, don't, it's not something you just hear and you say, well, that was really nice, but it's supposed to do something in your life. So let's break down those words. The first thing is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now when we read that in English, when we talk about love, we draw hearts, right? And what do we mean? It's we love our, our spouses, we love our parents, we love our kids, we love our dog. We love our sports teams too though, right? We love pizza and Mountain Dew. <laughs> Some of us still stuck in junior high. <laughs> We love all kinds of things. We love the Padres. We love surfing. We love being in Encinitas. We love nice weather, right? For us, we, and, and it's purely emotional for most. When we talk about love, we're talking about an emotion and a feeling that we have. In Hebrew, um, when you talk about your heart, it's not just loving with your emotion, but it's a center. The heart is the center of your emotions and your intellect. So, if he says, hey, love the Lord your God with your heart, he's saying, yeah, have an emotional connection to God, but use your brains in that love to engage intellectually. And friends, there are times when this will rescue you from a, a faith that will feel empty and void. 
When you go through those seasons and you say, I just, I don't know, I don't feel any passion for the Lord. I don't even feel, I don't even know if God's present. I show up on Sunday and I look around and there's people worshiping and raising their hands and they look emotional. They must love God and I don't have that. So what's wrong with me? We have those seasons. But actually in Hebrew, to love God is more than just emotion. It's also the center of your intellect. And there's times your love for God, you need to rest on the fact that you've logically thought through it And you say, you know what? I love God because this makes sense. The story arc makes sense. It makes sense that God would rescue and redeem me. This is really cool. I get it. I love God intellectually. I don't always feel it. But in Hebrew, there's room for that. And that should actually give us freedom to say, oh, it's not always just emotion. There's your intellect that's engaged. So when you you think of that, um, this also helps us. Sometimes if it's just an emotion, you can measure your love for God based on how you feel. You start to judge yourself. Maybe I've lost my love for God. And not only will you judge yourself, but you'll start judging other people if it's just that. Well, they don't really look that like they really love God. Or, man, why does everyone else have such a close relationship to the Lord? And I don't. Our students who go up to Hume Lake, they have this great emotional experience and that's good and healthy and and we love it, we invest in it, but if they think that that's all there is to relationship, they have that, we call it the come down the mountain experience and about two weeks later they realize, oh, I don't get that emotion all the time. And so we need to build up the intellectual side. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. The next thing is this, with all your soul. Now when we say that word in English, soul, most of us, it's based on this Greek philosophy idea of soul. It's like this spirit that's trapped inside your body and when you die, it's released. That's kind of how we think of it, right? It's It's this thing that's somewhere in there. Soul is actually much more holistic in Hebrew. In fact, the soul usually refers to your physical existence. It's this word, this nephish, and it's not just a soul that's trapped in and released. It's your very way of life. It's your body. It's your being. It's this life-breathing organism. We have in Psalm 119, verse 175, David is writing, and he says, let my nephish live so that, so let my soul live so that my soul may praise you. My body, my, my very existence may praise you. Psalm 43.1, as the deer pants for water, so my soul, my nephesh longs for you, O God. And it's much more than just this spirit thing, but it's actually your physical life. So loving God with your whole nephesh means we present our whole physical existence to our creator. So our entire being with all of its capabilities and all of its limitations present to God. It's not this just separate thing that we wait till we die. In fact, there's some heresy that came up in the first century that said soul and body is so separate so you can live any way you want in the body and your soul will remain pure. So sin all you want, you're saved. But Hebrews is like, no, your body is your soul. This is all together. You are holistic as a person. It's interchangeable. So now, notice this. We love the Lord God with our emotions, our intellect, and our physical lives, who we are. That's why in the New Testament, when Jesus repeats this, this um, command, he actually says your soul, or he says your heart, your mind, your strength, and your soul, spirit. So he adds it so we understand. The third one is this. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. This is another great Hebrew word. It's called meod. 
It's actually an adverb. It means very. Kind of like in Spanish, if I, you ask me how I'm doing. Anyone who, you know, when you don't speak a, a language, and oh, como estas? Oh, muy bien. As, as if you always, you know, if I ask you in English, how are you? You don't often say, I'm very good, thank you. But we do that when we're learning a language, right? So, miod is the word muy. It's very. It's extra. So, how, when he says this, so get it. Love the Lord with all your, your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all of your soul. And with all of your very, <laughs> or all of your muchness, or with a lot of something, the word is meant to augment what is already there. So it's not just with your strength that we think of, of like might, oh, I'm going to dig deep and be strong for God. No, it's actually every possibility, every opportunity, every capacity is your mayod. It's augmenting your mind, your emotions, your physical existence. It's, this here is, is saying that basically, notice what's missing. Nothing. We're not separating out our lives. So when Moses is talking to the next generation and says, what do you need to know as you go into the land? The one command he lands on is this. Present yourselves to the Lord and live under his rule as his people. And it's not a Sunday morning only thing. It's not a thing that only happens in your life group. It's not a thing that only happens when you're teaching Sunday school or when you're volunteering in our community at one of our great projects. This is when you're driving to work, when you're getting up in the morning, when you're walking your dog. Now, that is hard to do, would you agree? <laughs> and there are times you are not going to do it well. That's where we land on God's grace. There are times when you're going to go, well, I just blew that whole day. What happened? So we want to start to bake in some routines and things that will help us do that. But what Jesus repeats and what Moses was saying is the people of God, is we recognize we are his. Friends at Seacoast, if we think of what do we want to pass on from one generation to the next, it's this legacy of faith that just says we belong to God. The way we think, the way we interact with each other, all of it. Nothing, we don't separate or hold anything back. It's all lifted up before the Lord. For him to do what he wants as he leads us as our God. Now, how were they asked to do that? Let's look at the how. So we saw, why should they do it? Because we're passing it to the next generation. You're part of being the family of God that's bringing a blessing to the earth. What does that look like? It's people whose whole lives have been given over to the Lord. We love them with all of our heart, our soul, and our strength. And now the how. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. He writes, it says, These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Notice that. You shall repeat them diligently to your sons and, and daughters and speak them when you sit in the house, when you walk on the road, and when you lie down and when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So there's a couple things going on here, uh, but I want you to see this. When he says, well, how do we pass on a legacy of faith? How do we remember these? Notice the pattern. First thing, bind them on your heart. What do we love the Lord our God with? What's the first thing? Your heart. So he says, so bind them on your heart. 
with your emotions and your intellect, do something that keeps the, the commands and keeps the, the ways of Jesus in. We're going to trans- fast forward and make it about Jesus. Put these commands on your heart, your emotions and your mind. So I think it's important for us that as Christians that we have r- this private and public practices of worship, that we develop our own prayer life, we develop this habit of studying scripture and getting to know who God is, and we do that corporately. When we're together worshiping, something happens. There's something that actually speaks to your soul, and there's that emotional side. And so we want, and if you're here on a Sunday and you like to express yourself emotionally during worship, some of you don't, that's okay, but some of you do, you know what, you are speaking and preaching the truth to others around you. And there's something beautiful about that. And if we cut this out, friends, yes, we went to online during COVID, but that is not church. (laughs) If that's all you can do, and some of you are at home for very specific reasons, we understand that. But when you're together in community, it's different. Would you agree? And so it's important that we gather. We make it a priority in our lives because it actually does something to the emotional side of our heart. We bind the word on our heart. Now, the intellect is our teaching. It's our own personal study. Why do we want you in groups? Because that's a place you kind of double-click and you go deeper. Rooted is a great example, a great first thing. If you haven't done Rooted before, there's a prayer experience. Some of you say, I don't even know how to pray. You get, you're going to be forced to sit in some time and pray. Uh, you're going to learn about the story of God, your own story, all those things. So you can sign up for Rooted after the message today. Uh, great thing. So that helps us bind the word of God on our hearts. Now look at the next thing. He says, you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and daughters. Speak of them when you sit in your house, walk on the road, and lie down when you get up. In other words, all the time, right? So you want to keep the word of God on your heart and then on your tongue. You're talking about it. You're hearing it. This is actually not just words, but this is actions. And it's all the time. So it's something that you bind on your heart, you practice that, but then you walk it out. You know that when you're driving that, okay, Lord, how do I walk out a life of faith with you here? How do I do it in community with others? How do I do it when I'm alone? And we want, to, we want to constantly be thinking about this. This is the core of discipleship, walking it out and normal things together. Discipleship doesn't happen just here on Sunday morning. I want you to know that. It's when you realize you're parenting and you're going through something with your kids and you hang out with someone else who's a little wiser, smarter down the road. Their kids, and they raise their kids already and they can walk with you and say, hey, we've been there. Here's how you stay faithful. Here's how you lean on God in this, these seasons. They're passing that on to you. That's when you walk, as you sit, that's the normal life stuff. And we're always discipling people, but what kind of disciples are you making? What are the things that your kids are learning about, you know, I, sometimes I think when my kids are, especially when they're young and I'm out working on a car or building something, what kind of disciples am I making? What words are they learning when you're fixing a car? <laughs> I learned them from my grandparents and my parents. <laughs> so. I was thinking even this last week uh, as playing basketball. And when I play basketball, I play with this group of guys during the week. And um, when you're me, not super talented, but you just work hard, um, the other thing I can do is I can talk a lot. So I talk a lot of trash talk, trash talk when you play basketball because it's part of the game. I love doing that. And some guys can handle it, some can't. And there's one guy in there who also likes to talk a lot. He and I have fun going back. But there's, he 
doesn't know how, who to talk to and who not to. So at least once every two weeks, we have to go kind of intervene and say, do you really want to fight before you go back to work? In, in, in a, you know, we're at lunch break right now. And it's one of our elders, it's Matt. No, it's not. So. <laughs> Matt does play with us, which is fun. But I had this conversation with him this week because it was, he's like, that one guy is always getting in my face and he better know. And I was just like, he better know what? <laughs> like, we, sixth grade, I get it, but we're not sixth grade anymore. Like, what? And he's like, well, but you can't just, hey, it's about you, not him. And we had this whole conversation and I'm trying to tell him Jesus' principles. And he'd be like, well, that's you, that's not me. I'm like, no, it's about you too, man. And he's not a Christian, he's not a follower of Jesus, but it's pre-discipleship. He's already seen, oh, this life of Jesus makes a difference. Now, I don't know if he's buying into it yet, <laughs> but we're always, what we do is where we're passing on this truth. And the last thing says this, and bind them on your arms and on your forehead. Now, in the Jewish faith, they've taken this literally to write these commands on different things uh, that they call the tefillin. And tefillin, they use to actually during prayer time, bind it on their arms with these leather straps, and there's this box that they have on their head. They're taking it literally when he says, put it as a sign between your eyes. Um, so they said, well, they, let's just do this. Let's, we are told to do it. Probably related to the ancient Near East where they wore amulets kind of for magic and to ward off evil. So it was kind of probably rooted in that, like, oh, that's what God wants us to do. And so to this day, it's an important, it reminds them of the commands of God. Um, and this is the idea of that the word of God is in their world. So it's on your heart, on your tongue, and in your world. It's all the time. And so that's to be a physical reminder of just in this physical world, it's not spiritual and physical. It's not sacred and secular. It's all of life. And so as the Jews bind it on them to remind them, I want to give you just a, a, actually an image of that and then give you a warning. So here's an image of modern day, what that teflon looks like. You can see his arm is bound with this uh, leather strap and there's a, uh, some commands on, in his forehand. And then the, the box is literally what's called a phylactery today. And that is to, uh, they have commands in there. They found in first century in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they actually found a box. And the scrolls were written. So we know in first century they practiced this. The scrolls that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls are each scroll is the size of a lentil. And they didn't even have reader glasses. So I don't know how they actually read those commands. <laughs> but so this has been a practice in the Jewish faith for over 2,000 years. To say we don't know exactly what God meant, but we're going to take it literal. But I want to give you a warning. And I think it's a really cool thing in the Jewish faith that they do it. But Jesus gave them a warning in chapter 23 of Matthew. I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way up as I read this. Jesus said, So you must be careful to do everything that your teachers teach you, but don't to listen to everything they, they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move those burdens. In verse 5 of 23, Jesus says this. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. Isn't that interesting? So even Jesus saw in the first century, they're talking about this. He said, 
going all the way back to the Shema, that's all about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all of your strength. Your, it's an all of life thing. Bind these words on your mind, on your forehead, and on your arms. They said, we'll do it literally. And again, I think as far as the practice of the faith today, that's great in the Jewish faith because it's meant to remind you of the commands of God. But what the very thing was happening is it became about a show. And no longer was it actually for some of them this actual life-changing truth. They would make it as wide as they could so that you'd see how spiritual they were. Friends, discipleship, the one thing that we do not want to do is be people who are passing on legalistic faith in Jesus. We don't want to pass on this behavior modification and some sort of faith that's all about just, hey, next generation, you better behave and conform. No, we want life-transforming truth because we're resting in the grace and love of God. Amen? Love one author said this, Someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. What we do in our lives of faith as a church is planting a tree that the next generation will sit in the shade. So we want to lean in and we want to be that kind of church that's thinking of those who come after us for an all-of-life thing. And we're going to sing one last song, but before we do that, we're going to do one thing here to kind of put into practice this one generation to the next. We do this every year. In fact, we had it scheduled last week, but because of um, Storm Tracker 2023, we didn't do it um, last week. But, um, but every year we start off the school year, we like to pray for the families uh, who have students who are going off to school or going to school and for those students themselves. And so we're, in just a moment, what we're going to do is if you are a parent of kids who are in school, private school, homeschool, college, or public, whatever school they go to. Um, We want to pray for you and pray over you. And if you are one of those students, or maybe you're a college student getting ready to go off to school, we want to pray over you. And so we're going to practice being a family of faith here. And if you're new um, and it feels a little awkward, um, just, just kind of participate as to your level of comfort. But this is what we do because we care about each other here. And so here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, if you have a kid in school or you are a student, would you just raise your hand in just a moment? In fact, do it now. So if you have a student who's in school, college, or you are a student. Okay, we have a good number here. You got to keep them up because here's what we're going to do. If you are not raising your hand, look around right now. Find a hand. Look around. Okay. And we are literally going to ask you, if you're not raising your hand, go find some people, circle up around people with their hands raised, and one of you who's brave, pray for that family or those people, okay? So we're going to be church together here for a moment. So, and then when you're done praying, join in the last worship song, okay? So hands up if you have a kid or you are a student, and the rest of you go find a hand. One person, pray for that person or people, and... There's some over here. If you still, if you still need someone, put your hand up. They might need someone there. You guys all good over here? Cool. Okay. 
Can I get a couple extra people over here? It'd be great. We have a couple extra hands. Someone want to pray? Brave? All right. Lord God, we thank you for every student represented here in this place. We pray that you protect their minds and their bodies this year. And God, some will be in schools that do not know you or love you or teach anything close to your truth. Lord, I pray that you protect them. And God, I pray that you would bring favor on their schools and their families and their, even their teachers, Lord. May they be beacons of light. And I pray for the parents, Lord, we don't always know what to do. We don't always know what to say. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us your grace. And Lord, let the people of Seacoast and our kids be lights in this community. Examples of your hope, of your truth, and your peace. We thank you in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we sing this last song together.